Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Although the past year or so has brought a whole raft of new legislation and updates to employment law, many of these updates have been hugely beneficial, people-focused and progressive in nature, meaning that employees are getting many more positive changes in the workplace. And one group who has certainly been covered by these changes and we hope will feel the benefits are families, parents and carers. And to talk to us about this today, we're delighted to be joined by Deirdre Malone, Partner and Head of Employment Law at EY Law Ireland. Thanks for joining us, Deirdre. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And thank you for having me today. Brilliant. Delighted to, to have you on the podcast. And this week, we're also joined by our very own Laura Barry, Head of HR Services here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us, Laura. How are you? Thanks, Owen. Brilliant stuff. So looking forward to the chat. Uh, so look, let's jump right in. And I suppose, Deirdre, it seems like a bit of a kind of a catch-all term if we talk about policies for parents, carers and that kind of stuff. Um, but it has been something that has jumped out in employment law in the past year or so. Um, Deirdre, for a bit of a context setter, would you mind, I suppose, covering the key changes that are coming, have already come in, or the ones that might be most relevant, I suppose, for parents and carers? Thanks, Owen. So we have lots of benefits and rights in place for um, for employees who are parents or who have caring responsibilities. And we've had those for decades, really, and we've built on them over the years. But the most exciting development from an employment law perspective for both parents and carers in the last 12 months has been uh, the Work-Life Balance Act. And we're just waiting for the final go-ahead on some parts of that piece of legislation. But for a piece of legislation that was due to be in place in August 2022, we've we've taken our time getting there. But we are now um, at the, the final hurdle, I think. And we're going to see some great new improvements for parents and for carers who are employees in Ireland. Brilliant stuff. Um, and I suppose, Laura, then, as, as Deirdre has alluded to there, when we do talk about these kind of progressive policies for parents, carers and families, Laura, the Work-Life Balance Directive is probably the main driver here, right? Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, Owen, um, I, I do agree. The Work-Life Balance Act, um, it certainly is the driver in representing um, a significant advance in employee rights here in Ireland. Um, it's great to see the recognition and the importance of family life, isn't it? And the improved quality of life for all employees. What I really like about that act is, um, I suppose the provisions very much represent progress that uh, will positively impact a wide spectrum of employees rather than favouring one specific cohort or category of employees. Um, But I suppose the challenge for employers is to keep their own policies under review as that act progresses. The changes, as we know, are imminent um, and, you know, we, we know there has been quite a number of changes made already this year and more changes then, as Deirdre said, anticipate for 2024 that will certainly benefit parents, working carers, families and indeed the, the wide range of, of employees. 
employers do need to be vigilant when updating their policies to um, you know, reflect uh, changes made to ensure full compliance as we move into 2024. Certain sections of the Work-Life Balance um, Act will be further implemented you know, the right to request remote working, the right of parents and carers to request uh, flexible working arrangements also. So those two upcoming changes in particular require um, a code of practice to be completed before they commence. That code of practice is currently under development at the uh, Workplace Relations Commission. So for employers, their policies relating to those uh, work-life balance initiatives will be dictated or guided, I suppose, by the content contained within that code. The code will certainly um, or will hopefully contain specific procedural steps to help guide employers to consistently and and, and really fairly consider an employee's application to request uh, that form of flexibility. So it's hoped that the criteria for applying for both requests will be the same under the one code. But just to go back, um, to your question on there again on the Work-Life uh, Balance Act being the main driver for um, the progressive policies for carers and families and so on. By having these policies and procedures clearly developed in staff handbooks, I, you know, it'll drive consistency in how organisations deal with leave requests and also, I suppose, their obligations as well for maintaining ra- records and so on. Um, I suppose often when we see leave being granted quite sporadically or inconsistently or unfairly but now it certainly encourages employers to have a set criteria or a uniform guideline to follow so if you think of leave um for medical care purposes which is uh one of the the introductions into the act that's now more defined before all of this it may have been quite loose but the five days unpaid in a 12-month period this certainly does give employees more flexibility more freedom without feeling under pressure to request um, a day off or whenever um, it is it is needed. Um, but in, in addition to the Work-Life Balance Act, own, I just want to mention as well that it was an, announced um, in Budget 24 that the parents' leave and the parents' benefit will be extended to nine weeks from, uh, I think, August 2024. It's currently at uh, seven weeks for each parent if you qualify, and that's due to, to increase to uh, nine weeks uh, next year. So, you know, I mean, other key developments in, in relation to work-life balances, um, policies and, and awareness, such as menopause, um, many employers are looking at initiatives providing um, inclusive and supportive work environment to employees experiencing, um, you know, various symptoms. So that's not currently on a statutory footing, but certainly uh, employers are already putting support mechanisms in place. And similarly, uh, the reproductive health related leave and support, the government is proposing legislation which hopes to provide women and men with support at work where they're dealing with fertility or other uh, reproductive health issues. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's important to watch out for all these new initiatives to support the progression of uh, particular policies and procedures. Definitely, yeah. and and as, as we can see, there's a lot lot in there as well. But yeah, again, as you said, a lot of progression, a lot of a lot of family focus there, which is fantastic. I suppose on that kind of employer side of things, uh, I'll come to both of both of you for this one, but I'll come to yourself, dear. The first, is that, if that's all right. Um, I suppose from an employer perspective, dear, are employers kind of coming to you a lot for and your team? I suppose for advice on this is it something that is kind of reactionary to the work life balance updates, which isn't a bad thing, or is it kind of 
more proactive? Has it been in in the realms of advice for for a couple of years now? I think it's 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 definitely more proactive on the part of the employer clients who are coming to to us and our team to seek advice. I think that it's it's probably accelerated since COVID. People did want to work in in flexible ways and better ways. And before COVID, people really just thought that the only way in which to do that was to avail of parental leave, for example. And Laura touched on it earlier when she spoke about that really limits the cohort of people who can avail of working in a a different way. Um, COVID certainly accelerated how employers are responding to that. For them to be able to retain talent and to recruit talent in the first place, they need to be a flexible employer. They need to be able to work with people and understand that uh, work-life balance is more than just um, an idea. They have to live it and, and breathe it. And to do that, they certainly have been very proactive even though there isn't any code of practice which will be very practical and which will set out the requirements for employees when they're applying to work flexibly or they're applying to work remotely. So that will be really helpful to have. But in the absence of that, employers are ahead of the curve. They're already doing it. They they recognise that the legislation is there. They can see what it says. They know that um, employees who want to perhaps work flexibly because they have certain caring obligations. They have maybe an elderly parent who's in significant need of care or support. And they say, look, I want to be able to bring them to their medical appointments. And I know that that's going to happen weekly for the following. Or um, they may just be, let's say, dividing between siblings and saying, we're all going to take mom to do this. And this is your day and you're on duty. And they're coming. So those employees are coming to their employer and they're saying, um, look, I want to work flexibly. I have more than six months service at this point. This is what it will look like. This is when it will commence. So providing that eight weeks notice in advance, like using um, the provisions that are actually outlined in the legislation and saying it will start on the 1st of January when I start back to work, I'd like to be doing the following things. So they're Employers are reacting to that in the way that they're making sure that the policies that they have are fair and consistent and that they are applying them equally because employers must be conscious as well that they're not um, exposing their business to any claims for discriminatory treatment, that they're treating one person more favorably than another person on perhaps one of their protected uh, characteristics. So I think I've seen certainly from employers over the last three to four years, um, a huge shift in being open, first of all, to the idea of working flexibly. And that doesn't just mean taking your parental leave or your parents leave or your paternity leave. It's far broader than that. And it's looking at compressed working weeks and saying, I can do my 40 hours in four days. And, you know, I don't want to take a hit and take one day a week of parental leave and get 80% pay for really doing my job fully. Um, And I think that employers have embraced that and have said, yes, I'm really open to doing that because I recognize that this is what it takes to be a progressive employer. And so many employers want to be that progressive, innovative employer who is open to reimagining the workplace how it will evolve and respond in the in the coming years and they want to be ahead of that. 
100%. It's great to hear, isn't it? And I suppose, Laura, is that something that's, I suppose, kind of reflected in our own client base? I mean, nine times out of 10 people want to get this right, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, I suppose it varies on um, with regards to, to clients coming to us. I mean, we've we've many clients come in to review and update, we'll say, the likes of their handbooks on an annual basis. And um, that mainly is aligned with their own quality control or their own quality standards. Um, so on a yearly basis, we would revise their documents and make the necessary changes then on their behalf. Sometimes they ask us to come on site then to communicate the changes and explain in full to their staff, answer any questions and make sure um, that the policies are well explained and understood. Often the client you know, may not be aware of the extent of changes required until they see the completed version of our work. Um, or they may, you know, misinterpret certain aspects of the legislation or may just need further clarity um, on it. So other times, yeah, it can be reactionary. Maybe an employee might come with a request to their manager and advise the manager of their entitlement. So in other words, the employee knows first their entitlement rather than the manager being aware of it in the first instance. Um, and the manager may come to us or the client may come to us for advice on that. And the manager may have declined it or overlooked it and uh, a subsequent complaint then may come in. So all of that can be avoidable if time, you know, is afforded or is allocated to review and uh, the in-house policies and maybe set a, a designated uh, person keeping up to date with changes or indeed, um, you know, linking in with with HR providers or, or, or legal providers. 100%. And I suppose, Deirdre, at the, at the top of the call, you did mention that, I suppose, we do have quite a decent baseline of, I suppose, rights legislation for I mean, family-friendly, this whole group that we're talking about. So what are some of the kind of existing maternity, family-friendly rights, that kind of stuff, Deirdre, that this, I suppose that these new rules would kind of complement and add a, bit of, add a bit of weight and power to? Gosh, we have so many. It's it's great. It, it, like we have a super foundation in Ireland. Um, it was refreshing, actually, when they published the, the directive in 2019. I got very excited to see something that said work-life balance. I thought, OK, this is super. What are we going to have? But actually, we're really um, quite ahead of some of the EU member states um, in what we have. So we have our our maternity, our paternity, our parents, our parental, we have force majeure. But when we look at this piece of legislation and what it's going to do, um, and, and it wasn't in the directive itself, but we've brought in um, the domestic violence leave, which is again, just, it's another support. Like it doesn't naturally fit into a piece of legislation called work-life balance, but it is about support and it is about making sure that there is a safe environment for our people. And, and it goes to that. It's not just about parents. It is about those who have other caring responsibilities. So I think that's really helpful to see. I think the medical leave um, that's there, I think that's also really helpful because the force majeure leave is really like it's an emergency. It's a crisis, whereas this right to medical leave really complements um, that and it gives um, employees access to being able to take that time to support whatever is going on for them at home. And I think that's always a really good thing. Um, and then that final piece around the flexible working arrangements, I think that like employers are, um, they're waiting for the code of practice, but they're actually 
they're really looking forward to having that as something to offer. It's it's part of their benefits and being able to have that captured in a policy that reflects the ethos of that particular business. I think th- those elements to this new piece of legislation are just all positive. And I know that like I, I haven't heard anything from a client um, or an employer client that would suggest anything negative around what's coming. They're actually really embracing it and saying this is super. It adds to so much. I mean, and if you think about the the basis for this legislation, um, it's one of a number of pillars that the EU has proposed to ensure that we have strong female representation in the workplace and that we're keeping females in the workplace because all of the studies show and they actually speak about it in in the in the directive that women are the people who are most likely to step back and to reduce their hours of work whether it's for caring responsibilities for children or for sick relatives and and when you when you think about that and you think about the importance of having female representation in our workplace to have that balanced workplace and, and and we look at what we're doing around gender pay gap reporting and the requirements and of that and we have pay transparency coming through in the next couple of years it's all driving the same initiative of making sure that we have an optimum workplace for women in the first instance to keep them in the workplace but also for everyone else to make sure that they are aware that if you're um, a a dad and you want to take time off that you can do that and that there's a very simple structure and and way in which to do it and that that's promoted by the employer client so I, I think it's all of these things this piece of legislation is lovely and I'm very excited about it as you can probably tell um but I think it's um I think it's just really the elements of it that we didn't have in Ireland prior to now, I think they just really complement our baseline and what we had. And it, it, it is all moving in the right direction. Absolutely. And Laura, as kind of Deirdre's mentioned, there is a bit of excitement around this, as, as we can, I mean, it's clear from this conversation that it's all very positive. And there's also a great foundation there, as Deirdre said, for, I suppose, kind of boosting our policies, implementing these changes. So I suppose Laura will it still be a challenge for employers to implement all these changes and I suppose update their handbooks, contracts, because there's there a few moving parts here, even though we do have the excitement and the positivity behind it, it's still a, a bit of work to do, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, 2023 have, has been a, a pretty hectic year from a HR and, and legal perspective, and, and certainly I do think it's going to continue as we as we head to 2024. Um, look, it's, it's employment law, it's forever evolving, it's fast changing, and it can get very complex if employers and HR teams don't stay up to date and maintain their policies and make the necessary changes. Um, but considering some of the, the moving parts on um, in implementing changes, for me, number one would, you know, thorough planning. So maybe uh, take, for example, even the domestic violence leave, HR teams should by now, I suppose, have, have considered, um, you know, how that leave is being administered in practice. So how is it recorded on internal systems and on pay slips and, you know, considering confidentiality, um, effective communication as well as another moving part. How will these updates be communicated to the wider teams? Who will communicate the changes? Maybe the or- organisation already has 
um, an existing HR software tool, which can assist in the policy communication um, and the likes of feedback collection, which would make the implementation process more efficient. Um, and then, you know, another moving part would be the compliance with the legislation. Is what is contained in the policy legitimately correct? Yes, the policy needs to be fit for pur purpose, but, you know, we can't undermine the legislation or I mean not, it must be aligned with the legislation. Um, and then training for managers as well, in particular, how to handle specific uh, sensitive uh, requests, leave requests. So it's important that employers are flexible and, you know, and adaptable to evolving circumstances. And I've seen staff handbooks that haven't been updated for, for donkey's years. And, and there can be a number of different reasons for that. But sometimes I hear employers saying, well, if we don't update it, the employee won't ask for it. Um, so, you know, some organisations often resist changing established policies, fearing, we'll say, disruption or disagreement um, among among their staff. But it's important to proactively update policies rather than waiting for specific requests or issues to arise. So staying ahead of potential problems can save time and can save resources in the long run. So, you know, implementing HR policy changes does involve meticulous planning, clear communication strategies, adherence to compliance and accuracy, um, managerial training, staff awareness and, you know, proactive policy updates to stay ahead of potential issues. So by addressing those key, I suppose, components or moving parts, as you say, HR teams and organisations, they can better manage the challenges associated with policy implementation and really ensure a smoother transition while staying compliant with evolving employment laws. 100%. And I suppose, Deirdre, there's a question I had in the notes here, but you've kind of alluded to it already was how will this be received? How do you foresee this being received by employers and employees alike? But I suppose the question is more, it's, near more, it's more nearly now about kind of impact. What kind of impact do you see this having? Because I suppose that old, uh, that old phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats. It is a, a kind of an important time in this whole realm where if people implement these changes, if it, I suppose, creates a bit of a, a tailwind behind it, you can see this having a real impact across organisations here in Ireland, can't you? You can very much so, and I, I I think it's very a very positive step as I've said. But I think that there are elements, and while I agree completely with what Laura has said around being ahead of that and making sure that you're on top of your policies, that they are frequently reviewed and updated, there are certain things that employers are really anxious to see, and and I suppose. Some of those include like what kind of questions can you ask? Like when they announced the um, domestic violence leave and how to do that, there was a whole guidance document that was put together in conjunction with Women's Aid. It was really helpful because it helped with that softer skills. Like what should managers be asking for? Because you can't pry too much into somebody's life for them to be able to avail of domestic violence leave. And it's the same thing sort of questions that come up for me when um, clients are coming to us and saying well how far do we go and we're asking about somebody who wants to work flexibly to support a relative who's in significant need of support or care and they're saying like can we get a medical certificate? Um, should we be asking for that? How do we mind that then? Like, what do we do with a third party? 
with whom we have no relationship whatsoever. So somebody's mom is really sick and they're sending in a medical cert to an employer who has no relationship with them. And the employer is saying, where do I even store this? Does it go on to the employee's personnel file? Should I store it? Is it sufficient? So those bits, I think we uh, uh, employers are waiting um, for the code of practice on the um, the right to request remote work and the right to request flexible work to tie down those elements. You know, what sort of risk assessments can you do in people's home? Who's paying for um, the furniture that needs to go into people's home to allow them to work both flexibly and remotely? Um, how far can we do, go to protect confidential information? What evidence can we ask of our employees when they're making these applications? I think all of those questions are still very much in the in the mix. And for that reason, I think that it is, I, I think employers are very keenly waiting on the code of practice to be published hopefully by the end of january that's the last word that i heard um and 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 that once they have that they will feel much more confident in their policies in the content of their policies and who, how they then communicate them to their workforce 100 i suppose there we've said I, I suppose on this podcast numerous times during the year when things like this happen when there's legislative updates it does give organizations a chance to really look at their policies doesn't it we've always said that but again, as you said there, there is, I suppose, how you do it is also a challenge as well. So trying to solve those questions, trying to get it right. Any kind of advice generally on on that piece, how organizations can actually sit down and say, which is what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it, and how can we answer some of those questions that you, that you mentioned? I think you have to, for me at the moment, all we can do is start with the piece of legislation and, and, and you can only be as prescriptive as it is in, in terms of formulating a policy. I think at this point it is worthwhile where the promise is there that we will have a code of practice by the end of January. I wouldn't be rolling it out on week one in January. I'd be waiting for the code of practice. And then I think that the best way in which to implement any new policy, even if it's coming from a code of practice, is to engage with your stakeholders, engage with the people who are going to use it, talk to your employees, listen to your employees, listen to the practical aspects, because it's always the devil's in the detail. You know, it's when an employee comes and they say, but I don't know how this works with this particular section in your policy. So engaging with your people is a, a fundamental part of having a successful policy that you can actually use properly once you publish it. There's no point in having something shiny in the cupboard that nobody knows how to use. Like it, it has to work for everybody. Um, and the only way to do that is through strong communication as you're developing it. 100% and it's something Laura we say on this podcast and even just in our conversations so many times it's, it's all well and good having a policy but if something is lost on page 342 of the book <laughs> and it's not well communicated it's it, it's not going to work is it? so I suppose Laura any kind of additional insights on that I suppose kind of regularly looking at policies embedding them that kind of stuff. Yeah and look I understand it's sometimes easier said than done isn't it of course you've, you've great intentions of having a, a suite of squeaky clean policies and you've just done a review and a communication session then to hear now there's another set of changes coming um and you know sometimes organizations need to prioritize you know they're, they're prioritizing immediate needs or urgent projects over policy reviews considering them less pressing or, or less urgent and may not be aware of the potential risks associated with with outdated policies as i said i've seen many policies that 
you know, they're, they're collecting dust, at, at, you know, and they haven't been reviewed in five, six years. And, and lots of, ha, ha, has changed. We can see even how much has changed in a year. Multiply that by, by four or five years. It's enormous. Um, so, of course, best, best practice is always to have regular reviews, whether that be every six months or every year have a designated person assigned to that job in the long run, it will prevent confusion um, and issues arising. Employees and employers become very clear as to what the standard protocol is when there's a generic practice that uh, is accurate and, and up to date. And plus, I think it, you know, it, it establishes, um, you know, a culture of continuous improvement, which I think is great too. So. 100% look, a lot to do, but a lot, a lot of ways we can do it, a lot of ways yeah. we can help. And as we said, as both you and Adira said throughout the conversation, Nora, a lot of positivity there. So a lot of great changes Lots coming. I'm equally as excited about this new piece of legislation. That's I'm it. glad I'm not alone. No, Nora. I really am. <laughs> and uh, finally, yeah, finally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And I can hope we have people listening to this in their cars now feeling it as well. So no, it's a, it's a great thing to talk about. So look, thank you, Laura and Adira, for a very Thanks practical so and enjoyable discussion, as you said. And um, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate that as well. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Laura, and thank you, Deirdre. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.